Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. I am one of your two co-hosts, Michael Brandvold. As always, I'm joined by Jay Gilbert. How are you doing hey, today, Michael. Jay? Great, thanks. You are in a different locale. I'm in New York today. I'm here this week on meetings, so hopefully the hotel Wi-Fi will hold out. Uh, but uh, yeah, ready to go. Cool, cool. Well, good to catch up again. So why don't we, um, why don't you just take the honors and introduce this week's special guest. This week's special guest is Christy Crowell. I met her recently on a panel, a uh, technology panel we were doing in Santa Monica, and we had a really good conversation, and uh, we met afterwards and had a great uh, meeting about metadata and uh, credits on records, and it was a fascinating discussion, and I thought we could bring it here uh, Christy, uh, I'll let her kind of talk about this a little bit, but she started an organization. Um, what is it? Uh, Pro Music DB. Uh, and uh, Christy, welcome. And uh, tell us a little bit about, well, before we get into that, you're, you're also a musician amongst other things. You tour with the band Mannheim Steamroller, correct? I am. Yes, I do. And, I am a musician. And tell us a little bit about uh your background and then then I would love to talk about pro music db great well um in a nutshell i grew up as a musician my dad had a uh, performing group similar to up with people that i became a full time musician in as a keyboard player when i was 12 and from the time i was about 4 i would do little cameos uh with uh the group was called friends in spirit and so the group was called friends in spirit so um, I grew up as a musician and I started really playing uh, more or less as a touring musician, perform musician um, at, when I was 12. Uh, I was classically trained and went to college, University of Miami. I had a great experience there. I was a classical performance uh, piano major, undergrad, and then I switched gears from my master's degree to film scoring and did more of the commercial music production. Moved to LA in 1995 and kind of jumped into the industry. I served as uh, a music supervisor on uh, in one capacity. I, gosh, I was a producer of uh, some other musicians and putting events together. Um, I pursued my own solo career and, and had some success with that. Uh, had a top 20 single um, in 2001 on, off an album that I was invited to come to the United Nations and perform. And off of that, kind of uh, started a solo career, and then 9/11 hit, kind of after our first uh, single had dropped and gone off the chart, which kind of changed course for me a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of dove into being a music director. I was asked to kind of uh, be the organizer, I guess, of bands for musical theater productions and and other bands for more kind of popular artists. And I seemed to be good at it and kept asked, you know, being asked to do it over and over. So through a course of events, have worked with some really amazing people. Um, I got to be Julie Andrews, assistant music director to her kind of famous Emmy award-winning music director, Ian Frazier. Um, that was an amazing experience. I was the first woman conductor of the show Wicked, uh, toured around with them for a couple years. And then I uh, was asked to be part of Mannheim Steamroller uh, about four years ago. So this will be my fourth year with the band. And uh, we bring Christmas joy throughout the country. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> so uh, we also do other things other than, than Christmas music, but that's most what the band that's is the big one. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
Um, so that's kind of my career in a nutshell. Uh, uh, you've got a great, great resume. You've you've done a lot of great things, and I know we could we could literally talk, talk for hours and hours. And and I really enjoyed you know the lunch that we had. But what I'd really like to focus on today is you're working in something that's super important these days, and something that is being discussed on all levels of the music business, and we call it metadata. But um, it's much broader than that. You, you're trying to do m more and get musicians credit for their work. Can you can you tell us a little bit about uh, Pro Music DB and some of the efforts that you've been involved in? Sure. Um, Pro Music DB is essentially the effort to become almost like the Smithsonian for music credits or the IMDb for music. Uh, we started it about, well, I started vetting the idea with friends in the industry about five years ago because those of us who are session players or session singers don't often get credit um, in in the musical world for the work that we do on any of the databases that are available out there, which helps us market our career, as well as, when, as I learned over time, it helps tell the story of our career. And well, let, me, let me ask real quick. Are you not getting credit because the current dat databases that are out there have no fields, no ability? They're not even asking for that data? Correct. There's really no infrastructure to to actually give artists appropriate credit. Um, you may have a contract if it's facilitated on a union contract, which doesn't happen all the time, but like a musician's union contract would actually have the players, but that doesn't right. translate to the end of the film, say for film musicians, where all those credits get posted with everyone else. You know, the craft services folks get credits and the musicians, it might get, you might get, um, where the location was, you know, recorded at Warner Brothers Studio or um, uh, Warner Brothers Soundstage or Fox. It might get the location and the composer, but the the performers, the eighty to hundred orchestra players on that on that film score, for instance, do not get any credit. And then thinking further to like recording artists, um, there's such there's so many people involved in the music production process these days and as we pass around files of music to different people down the line none of that information is really captured in any standardized form that at the end when say the studio um, goes to release it that they've kind of been mindful of capturing all the information from all the participants um, other than like the main artists the engineers and those types of things but not really the musicians that were involved so um, over the course of time then our history starts to be lost and as a profession I think right now it's really important um, to bring visibility to what musicians do and the, the folks in the background that that you hear every day um, you may not realize it or not that that our actual people it's not a computer generating those noises and sounds not all the time anyway but the people be recognized because I think the music profession as a whole is really being challenged right now to see you know what value is there to being a musician what value right. is there to that so essentially right. kind of my heart is there to bring kind of awareness but also to capture the history correctly because 30 to 40 years from now if we don't because data is telling our story. And Absolutely. If data, if, if well, how far back do you want to go, Christy? I mean, you're talking about history. You know, well, I mean, are we talking about like the wrecking crew? Or are we talking about, I mean, how, how interestingly far? Interestingly enough, well, you know, we can only do what we're trying to, we're trying to do things in a parallel fashion. One, th one method uh, that we're pursuing is 
providing a standardized format for credits to be collected um, so that the industry can just have one home base that is really non uh, nonpartisan to any you know we're not we're not prohibited to not crediting somebody because someone said so that kind of thing well so, so um, to, to, uh, to that to that point let me let me just get real basic here so sure. when I think of metadata and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are the same way although we've had discussions where a lot of people a lot of musicians don't even understand what metadata is to begin Correct. with um, but when I think of it it's selecting the tune in my iTunes and doing get info and that dialog box pops up with a whole bunch of fields that can be filled in is that what you're you're hoping to do is have more fields added to that and have a standardized central database where it's all stored? Yes, essentially, yes. We would hope to be the provider of that information to entities such as iTunes. And interestingly enough, you um, you bring up something quite interesting. You know, iTunes Style Guide does not allow the place for non, uh, non-featured performers to actually enter credits. So unless it's, uh, unless the credit is entered on the actual artwork which an artist might be able to upload there's actually no field for the credits to be posted and to be fair christy i mean the fields in apple's uh metadata that that's really pop centric right i mean that's really rock country soul that doesn't really help not only people who have multiple musicians and players an orchestra exactly classical you have a conductor a composer i mean there's so many more fields is there any move to in addition to the the database that you're talking about just to make number one all of these databases have more fields so that information is there a and b so it's more consistent across dsps Correct. That's what we're hoping. We're hoping to standardize a format that can actually be a collective um, and actually congruent and be able to be fed out to multiple platforms. Um, we spent three years putting a pretty, a pretty uh, extensive uh, architecture together that can handle um, bringing in many different platforms on many different um many different levels so that we can actually go pretty deep as far as not just credits, but say rehearsals, sessions. Um, we can collect that information much like a library does. We've, we've, we've done a lot of uh, research and um, digging into how the library community actually um, archives uh, credits. And the, the big problem we found and why this kind of took a more historical focus for us was when we went to the universities, at the music libraries at the universities uh, in the country and said, what resources do you have for students to look up contemporary musicians in your music school? And they say, we don't have any. Um, or the, the databases that we have, we can't contribute to. Um, we can't find credits for students on something and put them in a centralized database that students across the country could use. There's commercial databases that are licensed into the libraries, but they don't allow participation. So the people who actually do the research, the librarians, to find out who's played on these recordings, and they, um, in some cases, do. And one survey we took, it was about three to four hours per CD to, for a cataloger to actually validate credits on, say, a classical recording. Um, 
they take that time and then there's no universal platform that will allow them to contribute to actually benefit other students and other universities. So it became a much more, and in, in the commercial world, they have no databases other than say all music, which they refer the musician, uh, refer the students all to guide. all music guide. Um, they don't have any non-classical um databases within the libraries for contemporary musicians, which actually the, mus uh, the students relate to more because um, it's more contemporary. And they say, who played on American Idol? Why can't we find that out? Well, there's, there's a whole band up there. We can find out who the contestants are. We can look on IMDb, but that information is usually wrong um, or uncredited. So um, so getting back to your initial question, we're going at it in two, two ways. We're providing the standardized format for credits to be captured and also as far as uh, how far do we want to go back that'll really be dependent on our contributors I mean we, we hope to work with organizations and kind of raise the flag of saying your organization record label um, archive that kind of thing should contribute to music history in some way how can we how can we absorb your archives so that from a historic perspective, that's kind of preserved in a fashion that can be researched and utilized in the future. So there's kind of two, I can't tell you how far back because we're, we're just now kind of getting to that, um, that release where we'll be saying, you know, we'd like to work with organizations and absorb their archives should they, um, should they want to make their music credits available and metadata about the musicians that were on their recordings available. We'd like to work with them, but in addition, providing this kind of standardized way that we can move forward as a musical community to kind of say, here's where music credits live. So, right. so it sounds like if, if you can get the, the standardized format adopted, it will fall on the shoulders of, of the, the artists, so to speak, or the labels. Yes to fill in that data. You're you're just championing getting the mechanism in place for everybody else to fill in their own data into this database. Well, I'd agree with you, um, yes, because right now um, in that we came up with the term crowdsourcing authorities. It's really impossible with so much metadata out there and credit information out there for us to take that on as a startup all by ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we have to authenticate, however, we have to authenticate the providers of the information um, in some fashion. So the providers of the information in our case are... In uh oh. We're focusing on the artists right oh, now. Oh, you dropped out there and just for a quick second. And we're looking at authenticating them via their membership to or an affiliation. Did you lose? Hey, oh, yeah, we sorry. Dropped, yeah, can, I'm here. Back Do you hear me? I'm here. Yeah, I can oh, hear you. Sure. Okay. There seems so, like there's a little delay, but if you could back up just a little bit, we lost a little bit of that. Oh, sure. So I'll start with the uh, what we're looking to do is provide the mechanism that authenticates artists in such a fashion that will be recognized by that historic library community to provide credits into this mechanism. So it's looked at as an authoritative source of information. Um, and the way we're looking at authenticating musicians is via their affiliation with uh, their uh, their musicians union, a performing rights organization, or the recording academy. So that's our first step. Um, then the other contributors, uh, as far as organizations, will have to kind of vet vet that as we go. Um, yeah. There are, because there is so much bad data um, on most of these databases, uh, All Music Guide, IMDb, um, 
Well, even on the CDs, I mean, how many times have you put a CD in and seen either misspelling or misinformation or, you know, the metadata is delivered uh, a variety of different ways uh, from the rights holders. I would think that one of the great sources would be, you know, producers, engineers, studio people. Absolutely. And that's why we have uh, tried to affiliate in some way with uh, the um, NARIS and the producer and engineers wing. Um, again, this is a kind of a, it needs to be a collective effort. We're kind of championing saying we're the ones that are going to step up and say this is important. This is important for everyone to engage in. Um, <clears throat> figuring out the way to standardize the way to collect history, in my opinion, is also the way to help figure out how to get everybody paid quicker, how to get everybody on the same page as far as um, aligning these systems and developing this infrastructure. But we can't go at it from that standpoint because we'll get a lot of pushback. I got, so. I got uh, two questions. I want to sure. come. I want to come back to your comment about getting paid quicker because mm-hmm. that I think that ties into something that's hitting the news all over the place this week. Sure. Um, but so. Will will you allow what the way it works? Example on iTunes, I I as an end user can submit metadata, no verification of who I am. I don't know what happens to that metadata when I submit it, but are you not going to champion to just let every user sub, you know just the listener submit the metadata if they know what it is? The Wikipedia. Well, yeah, that has we are um, part of our our architecture is actually bringing in those open source references. So what we're, we're out to do a couple things where um, we need to validate whoever participates and our first being a startup, we have to start with the musicians fans later on. Should this be an accepted um, format for everyone to use? Again, we have to scale it down. I don't have a Google or an Apple behind us giving us a lot sure. of money to put all this in place. So our our method of rollout is really featuring um, f- uh, focused on giving the artists the platform to preserve their history and credits correctly. So as a fan, um, that is a kind of a second tier problem, or okay. I would say problem, but a second tier, but not something that we're really focused on because I feel that the artists have had no no platform that they can contribute to as a whole. Um, for their specific music credits. It's always been for something else. It's not been about preserving their history, preserving their legacy. I'm a musician. This is what I did in the world. Um, It's been about, I need to get paid for this, and here's my metadata. So the metadata, the way that they uh, put in their metadata is over multiple um, platforms for multiple uses, and it's not unified. So we're hoping to try to help the artists in that way and provide one place they can go to that can push out to multiple sources um, that they need to contribute to in order to get paid. So if that does that kind of answer sure, your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so to the point of getting paid, um, I'm sure you guys have, have, have all seen the news <laughs> this week about how um, the, the, the little battle between Victory Records and Spotify, mm-hmm. um, about how Spotify has pulled Victory Records catalog because the two of them are in a dispute of Victory Records claiming um, underpayment, un- un- of royalties. Under- underpayment of publishing royalties and, and, and Spotify's like, listen, until this gets cleared up, we're pulling it off. Well, there was an article, I believe it was in Billboard just yesterday, maybe, that was saying this isn't actually a brand new problem. This problem's been festering forever because 
the metadata has never been standardized and has never been available across the board for people to properly track who to pay. So Correct. is this what you're talking about a solution to that? I, I believe it could be part of a solution. We don't we don't have infrastructure for payments and figuring out computations for royalties at all. That's really not our goal right now. We can help, I believe, and if what Spotify says is true and they don't know who to pay, I believe we can be a mechanism in that piece of the puzzle because what we're trying to provide is a way for artists and musicians to authentically identify themselves and then be able to be found in that infrastructure or found wherever they contribute music to or wherever they need to be affiliated. So for instance, the, the big thing in the library world is duplicate names. So you have you have someone named Richard Davis who's a pretty well-known record producer and then you have a Richard Davis bass player. And in all music, their credits are completely opposite what they should be or they're combined, So, but there's two people of the same name. How do you, as Spotify, figure out who to pay in that situation. So with our mechanism, with being able to authenticate a member of, of via their affiliation with a union PRO or NARIS and authenticate, I am this Richard Davis, it will help entities like Spotify, even SoundExchange. Yeah, but isn't there um, a unique identifier, you know, associate like the ISRC on a track or, you know, the UPC on an album? I mean, aren't there ways of kind of differentiating those or do those, are you saying well, that they, those don't really work? Part of, well, ISRC codes are for the recording, uh, but it doesn't, right. the actual name, it doesn't tag is it the Richard Davis in Texas or the Richard Davis in Boston? Yeah, I mean, I can I can say. tell you I can't tell you how many times I've been on Spotify and seen one artist band name have an electronic artist and then a '70s classic artist that just happened to have the same name, but the '70s artist hasn't been around for 40 years. Correct. So clearly, there's some form of problem with the data or understanding of what's going on that somebody like Spotify. Who isn't using somebody manually to look at it? And go, gee, this is not the same artist. Right. It's a computer right. that doesn't know. And 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 I think we can all attest to the fact again. How many times we get um, songs submitted to us just for our own reviews and and considerations that the metadata is a complete disaster, and that's the same metadata that these artists are probably submitting to DSPs and everybody else. So to it, it it's not hard for me to believe that the data is is a is a major issue here and that it sure. does need it does need to be standardized. It does need to be And verified. And, and verified. Verified so, is important. And that's the hard that's what we're trying to put in place that hasn't been put in place before. Um, to allow artists to contribute, but they're kind of a verified entity to contribute that information and help the disambiguation process for these entities, which is a lot of where the problems arise. You asked about standard identifiers. Um, 
we actually surveyed. So there's the VIAF, there's ISNI, uh, the Virtual Internet Authority file, which a lot of major artists have um, a name affiliate, like a, a number affiliated with the VIAF. There's the ISNI, International, Stam- um, International Standard Name Identifier, which was created mainly for authors to disambiguate authors from publishers. There's been no professional musician identifier. So um, we actually created a number or a way to generate an, a professional musician identifier based on a certain set of criteria. And also um, what that identifier does is also ask for their affiliations within music organizations. So whatever their, um, as myself as a musician, I'm a member of ASCAP as a publisher, BMI as a writer. I'm a member of the Musicians Union, but several locals, you know, um, which is the way the union is set up. And then a member of SAG-AFTRA and a member of NARIS. So if there's a Christy Crowell that exists um, elsewhere, I at least can affiliate all those organizations and those memberships so that when right. something is triggered with Sound Exchange to pay a Christy Crowell, they have a better shot right. or we have They've a better a shot that they have a reference. Um, is that, is that a uh, unique identifier in Pro Music DB? Yes. Yes. Um, so that's part of what we're... Um, for events and for individuals, but in the beginning, it will just be for the artists. We do have a specific event identifier that will help with the um, incarnations and the, the the versions of things, like cover covers and things that will help you a relational database yeah, yeah. in that in that way. But let at me, first, it'll be for the artists. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this: This all makes perfect sense to me. Um, it does. I mean, the fact that this is necessary. And therefore, that this. is why this is going to be very difficult to make happen in the and, music and industry. And so the, the question I have is, who's against it? What's, what's no your hurdles? No, um, our hurdles are funding and money. You know, we're a team of four. Um, I managed to attract an incredible team of really, really smart folks. Um, is it for Stan- profit? No, we are a nonprofit. Uh, we've started in the nonprofit vein, um, which has been tough. We have applied for a National Endowment for Humanities grants and waited the two-year period. We applied for three major grants, and you kind of have to go through a waiting process to know if you get them. And in the meantime, you apply for another one. And so we were not successful in that. We also applied um, by recommendation to the Grammy Foundation and did not receive that either. So, What about the RIAA? Um, we have not approached them for funding. What we're hoping, we're, we're launching at South by Southwest. So the technology is yep, done and we're, we're developing the front end. So we're first, you know, um, we're endorsed by the Music Library Association. And it, it, these nonprofit entities that need to do this work for infrastructure, they just don't have the money. The union is, uh, the musicians' unions are very supportive. Um, however, the resources that they have to allocate to helping us develop infrastructure with them is very complicated. So what we've done is kind of, we're ready (laughs) and we've surveyed um, their databases and we've kind of done, we've aligned our technology so that once the funding is raised, we can actually integrate with those bigger organizations. But to start, we've aligned aligned a membership program where the artists can now start. And I would kind of say, your history starts here. Um, We can only move forward. And then we believe over time, you know, two to three years out, the organizations can start to integrate and and give us, um, I guess, permission to uh, 
kind of clean and yeah. allow the artists to kind of fix their data off these other organizations, which I think is really what's necessary. Yeah, and to be clear, you, as this snowballs and as you know, word gets out and people understand what this is all about, you will be kind of this central source, but also kind of key to the verification. Yes, I, I believe that that we we've set up a pretty a pretty um, logical system of verification. So um, hopefully that, and we've been very deliberate about um, validating our ideas with the say the Music Library Association, Library of Congress, as well as uh, say the DDEX, um the DDEX board. So that well, just for a second, can you for for people who are listening or viewing, can you explain a little bit about DDEX because it's it's something that gets bounced around in the you know music and technology press quite a bit. Um, I believe most of the majors, if not all of them, uh, use DDEX. Can you talk uh, speak to what that means? What it means to us, um, well, DDEX is the Digital Data Exchange uh, kind of standard, and what it. Um, how the labels use it is it's it's essentially a huge schema for lack of better and schema is just like an architecture for those who don't know what data schemas are it's an architecture of a way to organize data so the studios um, within labels can organize all their different types of contracts and payment systems on a particular product in kind of and, a unified fashion yes that's what they're trying to promote and they've started uh, I'm not 10, 15 years ago now, um, promoting this standard. So they're also kind of a nonprofit operating entity to standardize. And um, the, a lot of the studios have adopted it. The problem at, um, that I've seen in just participating in some of these metadata groups that have, uh, uh, as part of uh, DDEX um, meetings, that, that the problem comes when the individual artists submit uh, or the the smaller publishers um smaller labels submit metadata um they they aren't using ddex standards they aren't and because they don't know there's a huge education process so they sure. they they're trying to interact with the labels that that have the ddex um the ddex messaging implemented right. and right. and and it's causing a huge backlog and there's not enough trans there's not enough infrastructure in place to handle all the the minute uh the smaller labels and smaller artists who right. um interact with the labels so that's kind of a problem on the retail side what we see is by us being compliant with ddex and allowing um, exports and messaging to DDEX directly from an artist, say off of a title registration form, which we've developed, um, that it may be a help to that. It may be a help to the studios. Well, you just uh, touched on something, Christy, that I wanted to ask you about. I think it's really important. I mean, this this title registration form, I imagine that would be something that you'd love to see and that was you know, across all these different platforms. Is it too simplistic to think that you could just simply partner with DDEX and, you know, since they seem to be um, kind of the standard? Well, it's not too simplistic at all. In fact, that may, um, what we've, uh, part of our toolkit for um, Permusia DB members is this title registration form that actually has messaging direct to DDEX. So um, we're hoping, uh, DDEX meetings take place in LA the first week of November, and we're hoping to uh, make 
this known and to see what what opportunities might be available for for us to either have them kind of tag us as you know tell your smaller publishers or or uh, individual independent artists to kind of go here and fill out the title registration because the message that that system is kind of what is what we've just created. Um, but again, it's a huge education process and getting artists to kind of understand. That's why really the focus for us has been on um, preserving music history and manager data in one place. I think people can kind of understand, our artists can kind of understand that a little more than, um, and then once you get them into the system, then you can educate them on why it's important to submit your data in this way and the tools that we can make available to make all these transactions um, a little cleaner and a little more standardized. Are you anticipating anybody objecting to this because it might force them to start paying people that they haven't been paying in the past? You know, that's really come up a lot. Um, and yes, it, it's quite possible that we will get pushback. Um, however, uh, it's up to the artist. So that's, um, we've gotten some concern from uh, actually some of the musician organizations as to um, them being held responsible for back payments. And that's why we specifically targeted saying our, our target focus is preserving history. And then I think right. the light bulb might go off in three to five years to say, oh, well, this mechanism and this platform can really help us with these transactions, so why aren't we part of them? We've also looked into trying to maybe brand a way of giving uh, organizations a, a, a brand or a thumbs up or something if they provide transparent information or if they participate in receiving our, our data. So basically it says they've they've agreed to this standard and we're going to promote them for doing so and for being transparent. So, um, you know, we're at the, we're at the end of a long three year technological process and now kind of rolling it out in the social fashion is going to be the challenge to see what the industry is ready for, what the industry will receive in a positive light <laughs> and not push back. Yeah. yeah I mean, and, I, I mean, and, and, I, and I'm not saying that this is what's going to happen with these people, but, Boy, if all of a sudden this gets accepted and DSPs start going, well, wait a second, now it's clear that we owe millions of dollars in, in back publishing or, or moving forward, we're going to be held responsible for publishing moving forward. Um, you know, I could see a lot of people trying to drag their feet in, in implementing this just because on the bottom line, it's a, it's a new, you know, it's a new line item that wasn't there five years ago. Sure. And you know, that's, that's from a business perspective. I, I completely see that, um, as a possibility, but I also, I see it a turn a little bit into, um, even in the panel that, that Jay was on a turn into the, the thinking of the labels, it seems as the artists are having more power. So I, I guess we want to validate the artist to say, you should hold people who have your music and are selling it responsible for paying you. Yep. And we want to give them a, a, a better chance at, at, at fulfilling that desire to be successful. Um, and, and sooner or later, the businesses that were built on the backs of you know, musicians' talent, um, they should be held accountable. And, they should, um, and musicians should hold them to that and not accept what's been given to them, which is kind of the state of has, has been of things, you know, musicians just accept that 
you know, this is the way it is and, and somehow I'll figure it out. Well, they need to take a little more power back and say, you know, this is at least in our perspective. So, um, if we say save your history and preserve your legacy, that's a different message right now than um, get all your back payments. So we're sure. really trying to we're really trying to stay separate from that conversation. But I believe over time, by telling the uh, the musicians that their legacies are worth saving, <laughs> I think that they that empowers them just on an emotional level to kind of start being smarter about their business decisions. Well, Chris, Christy, let me let me ask you so. What what can our listeners today do to help move this along? Well, um, that's a great question. I appreciate that. You know, we are launching at South by Southwest. Uh, they can go to um, promusedb.org and learn a little more about us. Um, I have I can give out my my professional email and um, be put on kind of a list for. Um, for knowing when we're going to roll this out and for when people can sign up, when artists can sign up. Um, if they want to talk to me any more about it or be involved on a greater level, um, you can email me at Christy, C-H-R-I-S-T-Y, at promusicdb.org. And I'd be happy to hear from anyone who wants to have an intelligent conversation. Um, we're, we're open to uh, meeting up at South by Southwest if there's other entities that have... Um, panels or or want to kind of participate in ours um we'd be happy to to discuss those possibilities so um i guess right now <laughs> just uh, be aware you can also go to our facebook page uh just look up permeasy db on facebook and uh like us and stay aware you can send me a message there as well and we can just keep you updated right now until the release of the platform awesome excellent that's, that's excellent that's great when are you back out on the road with uh, the folks from Mannheim Steamroller? Less than two weeks, November second. You excited? Yes, I'm excited. I get to. Are you um, Are you coming to Southern California? Do you have your dates? Um, Southern California is the Mannheim has two bands. So there's the East Coast band and the West Coast band. The West Coast band will be performing, I believe, around Thanksgiving in Orange County. Um, oh, great. We'll be at the Sangstrom. Is it the Sangstrom that's Center? That's your the one you'll be in. Um, it was. I, I did that band for a few years, and now I'm on the East Coast band. So I start off in Florida and St. Petersburg, okay. and we kind of go up uh, up into New York and um, then back down into Texas. So, so yes, holidays are here already. <laughs> I can't believe yeah. it. <laughs> well, well, good. Well, Christy, this this was great. I mean, I, like I said, I think the database, the data is a big is a big mess. And any anybody who works with artists and recordings knows it. Um, we see it all the time. So, uh, you know, I applaud that you want to come out here and try and clean this up and create a standard for this. I appreciate that. And, you know, I appreciate any good thoughts as we move forward. Um, we will be having a beta group. Um, we'll be requesting for, you know, beta users um, kind of in a higher level. So I'd, I'd really, we want to serve the community. So um, however, in intelligent comments, um, I really appreciate as far as, you know, this would help us do our job better. This would help us do our job better. Um, that actually helps us know how to serve um, artists and their representatives better. So I appreciate any feedback like that. Thank you. Great, great. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Christy. Thanks, Thanks Christy. Thanks, guys. 
Take really care. I appreciate it. See you. Thank you. Have a good week. You too. Okay. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. Yeah, like I said, Jay, I, I applaud her. That's that to me. That's a huge undertaking. Huge. Huge. Yeah. I mean, and it's, no one it's, else it's is so doing it. needed. It. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's doing it. It's so needed. And like I said, you know, just the news of this week that's coming out that that it. Yes, the problem is focused on Spotify right now, but this problem of not paying on publishing has been around forever. I mean, going back to the labels themselves have never been able to accurately track this data. So, um, Yeah, and you and I have talked about metadata, whether it's D. Snyder's CD that you popped in, or you and I have both seen examples of really bad metadata, really good metadata. But the fact of the matter is, like we talked about, the classical and, and jazz, they really aren't served with the metadata fields that are available to them right now. I'd be curious to find out that metadata that you fill out for iTunes, and I've done that before and sent through. I wonder what happens to that. that. That's what I was thinking as I was bringing that question up. It's like, I've submitted it a number of times. What happens? Does yeah. it just get dumped as in... Ah, it's just a user dump it, trash it, or does somebody review it, or does it? Just, guess does it get sucked in yeah. without any review? I wonder if it's associated with the code, you know, from that unique identifier from that disk, and if it's replicated, you know, if that disk is replicated, then that would come up again. Uh, that's that's what my gut tells me. But anyway, that was a fascinating discussion. I, I learned a lot from Christy about, you know, metadata and, you know. It's it's also what she mentioned. It's part of preserving our heritage and our history. Yeah. And you know, it, it it what it what it what it sounds like to me is trying to bring back the depth of the liner notes. Yeah. That you used to have on the the vinyl LP jackets, the sleeves, where you had all of this space to credit everybody. Right. And, you know, people have always said they missed the liner notes in the digital age. And Apple has tried the, well, you can upload a, a attach a PDF file to it. And you can, right. Listen, the iTunes LP. Yeah, you, you, can, you can do yeah. that. But I've never opened up those PDFs when they get downloaded. I kind of just trash them off the side and go, you're just cluttering up my iTunes here. Yeah. Um, it's rare. It's, you know, it's I mean, very rare. The, the one that I, one exception is the, the U2, that big box set. I use that term loosely, the 300 songs. There, there was a PDF that came with that, which was ridiculous. But you're absolutely right. You know, Most of those PDFs that come along, unless you're a rabid fan of the band, and even if you are, you probably look at it once and then trash it because it's in your way. Yeah, so if, if, they, can actually, if they can actually embed the, the liner notes into the data of the file, um, that data will travel with the file through history. Yeah. That PDF file doesn't necessarily travel with that that MP3 file. No, it's not attached. It's not attached in any way. Yeah. So if you can embed that data into the meta the metadata of that MP3 file of of whatever that audio file is, um, you are you're preserving you're preserving that history. Yeah. And 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 I really just I don't see why there would be great objections to saying, "Listen, yeah, we just want to add 20 more fields." Yeah, it's just twenty more fields. I mean, it's 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 not like you've got a limited amount of space. Yeah, it's it's, it's data. It must be it's great to a, know. I mean, how would you like to be able to pull that up? And you know, like I don't know, if you saw the documentary on the Wrecking Crew, but there are these group of musicians that played on all of these hit records, 
you know, and it would be great to know, you know, when you pull up a certain track or a certain album, you know, who who, who actually was, played who, on it. Who was the ghost musician that, that the band never credited? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it would mean that, uh, you know, Bob Kulik would get some uh, recognition. I don't know. Inside joke. <laughs> yeah, a very inside joke. But no, I mean, um, this this is... This is very interesting. Uh, yeah. You know, I would, I definitely want to pay attention to how this progresses, and 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 hopefully, the industry sees the benefit of it and doesn't see it as in, holy crap, we need to torpedo this because it means we're going to have to pay more money to somebody yeah. now. Yeah, I hope not. All right, guys, that's it. Great show. Ne- next week, you're back in uh, Southern California. Yes, I will. Same time, same channel. There you go. All right, everybody. All right. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. See you later.